Good evening. Welcome to another edition of the Tom and Mary Music Show. We've got a great show coming up with all the great stuff that we always have. Uh, live look back. We're going to have a little trivia. We're going to do a deep dive on Exxon on Main Street, which is always, you know, everybody can talk about that. So we got a great show coming up. But first off, Perry, how are you doing? I feel fine. How about you, Tom? I'm, I'm pretty good, not using the Beatle quote, but, you know, I'm, I'm doing all right. <laughs> Had an excellent meal before, but we'll save that for my cooking show. Save that for your cooking <laughs> show, yes. <laughs> We've got a lot of great stuff coming up. Let's start out. Let's go hit the ground running. Let's do our live look back. So live look back is when, you know, just like it says, we check out a live video of, you know, a song that something, we love. Something we found on television or on the internet. Yep. Exactly. So yep. when we... Uh, like I, like we said last show, when we find this stuff on um, the internet, we have no subscriptions, no passwords, no anything like that. This is free to everybody, so that's it. Any, so, anyone can find it. Yep, and, absolutely. Uh, so, what's the first maybe, one we're going to do? Uh, I'd like to do the uh, the one I sent you of the Who. Oh my God, Perry, are you kidding me with that? Now I've never seen that. That, before. that was my generation. I know, but where did you find that? It looks like it's... I, I don't know where I found it. I found it on, you know, YouTube. It, it doesn't, doesn't it look like it's it's outside? Doesn't it look like it, it's outside? It, it kind of sounded that way, too. And it's kind it of was... ramshackled. It's like, you know, not really a stage. And the feng shui of the stage was well, throwing me off. <laughs> the first thing I noticed, first thing I noticed was right. Keith Moon was amazing. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. Yes. Yes, he was the star of the show. He was at his, was in his Dolphy, prime. His vocal was really prominent. The background vocals, the microphone was very low. You could <laughs> you, you could barely hear it. But uh, the things that I noticed, uh, the interplay between the band. I mean, everybody's body uh, body languages. They didn't want to be there. And they were just like kind of getting through it. That's what I got from it. You know, Roger Daltrey, a couple of times when he modulates up in the pitch, the other two, they just keep on going. They sing over them. They actually yeah. sing over them, which yeah. is like, and he kind of like throws his hands up. Then he starts wandering around. It was so odd. Now, did you notice this? He, when what? he was wandering around, um, it might have been after Pete's little guitar solo or something. And right. Roger comes around the back by John and Pete because John and Pete were at one mic doing the yes. background vocals. Yep. And Pete just finishes his guitar solo. Roger's right behind him. And he moves his, the head of his guitar and he clips Roger right in the eye. Did you see that? Did you see that? I didn't see it. I'm going to look for it now. You look closely. And Roger, I don't know if he got annoyed. He threw the microphone across the stage. Okay, so that and, explains a lot. Yeah, because Roger was supposedly a brawler. Yeah, but, you know, everybody just looks so pissed, except for Mooney. He's out back there bashing away. He's the star of the show. He was amazing. He was it amazing. Really was, yeah. It was amazing. And how about the, you know, and the sound, although it was loud, it was brittle. Like, the background vocals were cutting across, like. Yeah. Well, uh, well just, Pete was playing his Rickenbacker, you know, so he had right. that. And uh, I couldn't tell what uh, John Entwistle was playing because they were facing, you know, each other right. off to right. the side. Right. But I did notice that. uh the background vocal was really low, but I mean, they were they were on. It was really good. The way the guy the, was amazing. The way the guy introduced them, he made it sound like they were coming across town just to drop in to do a quick song. He said he said they got here like in five minutes or what? what did right. he say something on short so, notice or something? Right. So maybe they were at another gig and just popped over at you know at the end of their set or something like that. But uh, or was, maybe maybe they were annoyed that they actually had to honor you know whatever I don't know what the situation was. But but Perry, I had never seen that before. Which you know, okay, I'm not the end all and be all ball, but you know, I've seen a lot of the Who on online. I'd never seen that before. Good catch, yeah, my yeah. friend. Good catch. That was the, and and like like I said, that did not get by me. That Pete <laughs> clipped Roger in the eye. I gotta check it out. I did not see guitar, that with the head of his guitar, and Roger threw the microphone across the stage. Holy shit! And like was pissed visibly pissed yeah, and he was just, a, like was wandering around for the rest of the song yeah there were vibes being put off there you know <laughs> yeah yeah but what a great okay. show it was very cool um another one we wanted to look back was um this band we five so their big hit was when i woke up this morning you were on my mind yeah, yeah. excellent song but you know i don't know i I'm, I'm going to be honest. I never really gave it too much thought. You know, it was like a, you know, a pop song of the sixties was a really good song. 
Well, that was like 1965, right? 65. Then I stumble onto the video that we're going to discuss of them performing it live on the Hollywood Palace. Holy shit, Perry. I mean, it just what I saw on the Hollywood Palace. Yeah, exactly. It just brought the whole thing to life. You know, so they got the two electric guitars plugged into one amp, you know, the bass and the acoustic guitar and her saying, and you saw how they have the drummer, how they frame that the drummers in front of them, like in the audience, they just wanted to let you know that there was a drummer on this track, but he wasn't featured, you know, was that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. Because that he was probably in the orchestra of the television show. Exactly. Right. Exactly. The camera was kind of coming from his point of perspective, right? (laughs) It was excellent. And the guy was jamming hard. I mean, you can tell total pro, you know, Um, but then the performance starts out. And just like I said it last week, these songs start off, yeah, you know, they're all controlled. Yep. By the end, they are rocking hard. The guy's hair's flying yep. all over the place. Yep. And, you know, they're all just just doing it. You know, it was a really rocking song. And you hear it on the radio all the time. You don't think of it that way. I mean, I never did. But uh, excellent performance. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, we five. When I woke up this morning, <laughs> you were on my You were on yeah, they had an electric guitar player. They had an acoustic guitar player. Right. So they had two, right. two electric guitars plugged into yep. the same amp. The bass is plugged into its own amp. And the acoustic guitar wasn't mic'd. Wow. Maybe Harry, it had a just like, in it. I know. It was just it was so odd. But it was excellent performance. And that show was kind of weird, too. The Hollywood Palace was on. Uh, I did a little digging. It was on Saturday nights after Lawrence Welk. <laughs> Really? <laughs> From like 9 30 to 11. And it was a variety show. And you look at the, you know, the look at the roster at some of the shows. My God, they'd have like 20 acts on, you know, everybody doing like one song or comedians would come out and do one skit. It was very interesting. Yeah. Yep. So, you, you know, we were talking about, you know, we were talking about these live shows and things. And I remember that show, Top of the Pops? Absolutely. Now, I heard, I don't know if it's true. Maybe you know more about it. I heard that they, they weren't allowed to perform live on that show because of some union rule. Is that true? Is that true, Perry? That's that's what I thought I heard somewhere. We're going to have to research that. But yeah, we're going to have to. Because Top it, of the Pops was always lip-synced. Exactly. Right? Notorious yeah. for lip-sync. But they did have a couple of odd performances where, again, like on the Ed Sullivan show, people would perform live to their yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, pre-recorded yeah. track. Yep. But I did hear, I thought I read somewhere that some union rule that they couldn't perform live. Well, how English is that? Yeah. You know, yep. Typical. That's what I heard. So, <laughs> what are they, you know, I'm going to have to research that and come back, uh, come back next show with it. Oh, good Lord. Yep. Um, oh, when dear. I woke up this morning. Yeah. You know, I was, uh, you know, the live look back to, uh, at, at some point, one of these shows we have to devote to um, those excellent shows they had in Germany in the sixties. Um, Beat, beat, beat was one of them, and oh yeah, beat club. It's great because the guy who's hosting the show he fires it off in German, then he does it in perfect English. Yeah, you know when he's introducing the bands, he's like, and then he's like, the kinks. (laughs) And then they have these Swedish shows and the you know, oh yeah, uh, these Dutch shows. I love it. Yeah. I love it. That's <laughs> Beatles. That stones the rolling. <laughs> All oh, right, that was great. All right, let's move on from bad accents because we're terrible at it, you know. So, anyway, so um, do you want to move into this week's big deep dive into the Rolling Stones? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. And we're digging into. Exile on Main Street. What right? a great record. A lot of people think it's the best Rolling Stones record. Me personally, don't take this bad way. I don't think it's their best record, but hey, that's why we're in America here. It's but, one of my faves, but oh, what, but it's what I really like about it is the story and the oh, place yeah, where they the did legend, the basic tracks. The lore. Right? All the, all the rumors and fables. The rumors you know. were, you know, Graham Parsons was there hanging oh, with yeah. Keith, right? Oh, and, yeah. uh, um, Keith gave... Um, Keith gave Graham wild horses to record oh, before geez. the Stones even did it, I believe. Now that you know, now this is a double album, and uh, you know, 
every rock critic in the world has said, you know, oh, well, it's too bloated. You know, it should have been a single record, you know, and everything like that. Mm-hmm. I, don't agree, I don't agree with that, you know. You know, I'm glad they did something like that. You know, could songs have been dropped off? Of course. But now, 50 years later, it's a statement of a time so perfectly, you know, the whole thing. It's the good, the bad, the ugly, all on one record. You know, what I what I what I really like about it is it's in a sense it's kind of lo-fi. Oh, absolutely. When absolutely. like for instance, first song was "Rocks Off," right? Oh my god, <laughs> what a great song! <laughs> but you can you can almost tell that you know that the, the basic tracks were recorded in a basement. Absolutely. And Perry, you know, that was such a perfect opening song for that, you know, because it was like a mission statement. Comes on rollicking, roughhousing, and those horns. Oh, my God. Well, that's what I want to talk about, too. But they had they had the Rolling Stones mobile. Uh, they had their mobile unit there, didn't they? Absolutely, yes. They, so all the cables were running in through the right. So that's, that's parked outside. And, excuse me, I was just reading something else where they said that the actual basements where they recorded were all these tiny little rooms. It was like warrens of rooms. So people would be separated. You know, you'd have Keith and, you know, Charlie in one room and, uh, you know, the horns would be down the hall. I mean, there was not one room that was big enough to, you know, hold the band. Right, because Bobby Keys was there. So Bobby Keys had to do do some horn work there, oh some saxophone God. work. Absolutely. Uh, what did they, they were both there, weren't they? Was, wasn't Jim Price there too? Uh, I think the, the couple of horn players were there, yes. But rocks off is just, it just starts off rollicking. And it has, you know, I personally think, you know, Mick's personal, you know, the Rolling Stones' personal, like, motto, you know, when he comes out of that break, the sunshine bores the daylights out yeah. of me. And again, <laughs> uh, and again with uh, with Mick, Mick, Mick Taylor. Sorry. I'm sorry. Mick Taylor and Mick Taylor's in one ear and Keith is in the other. I, I kind of like when they do that because you can hear how they yeah. play off each other. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, you know, that's Nicky Hopkins on piano there, and he's rollicking along with that. And you know, when they come out of that break, you know, Charlie does that little, you know, that little fill that he mastered that just kicks him back into gear. Mm-hmm. I just uh, this song is just amazing. It really is. It's. It, I think that's what I, that's probably my favorite song on the record. What? Where was? Um, where was their keyboard player? Their guy, who was like the fifth stone. So, so Ian Stewart. Ian Stewart, so, right. Yeah. So he's on like four or five songs, but he's not on that. But was he in France with them? I don't believe he was in France full time. Oh, okay, cool. So he, wow, he's on a, he's that. on a bunch of the songs, but I don't yeah. know if he, you know, added them in LA. There's definitely a couple that he added in LA, but I don't know if he was again, like we said last time when we were talking about this, I don't know if I want to know every single minute, you know, of what went on. You know, it's so mythic now and there's 8,000 stories and, you know, it's like, yeah, yep. you know, it's like fable, you know. So whatever happens, happens, you know. So what's the next song after Rocks Off? Uh, Rocks Off was Rip This Joint. Now, there's a rock and number, man. <laughs> that's, a, that's straight out rock and roll. Well, it, it is. It's like, you know? you know, a signature Stones rocker, you know, it comes yep. right off like yep. that. Um. But you know when when I when I listen to Bobby Keys, right? But this is the amazing thing about certain saxophone players. Bobby Keys, when you listen to him play, it's like a guitar solo. Only he's playing it on a on a Absolutely. on a saxophone. It's amazing Absolutely. that this is what this is what people used to say about like a these these like bird and you you know you know and all these amazing saxophone players like there's some saxophone players like say the guy from bruce springsteen where he just plays in the background but you know but when bobby keys plays it's like a guitar solo well it's 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 rock and roll sax it really is but but he's playing a solo he's playing a solo exactly you know and you know there's some artists that oh you know i remember george harrison always had saxophone on almost all of his songs you know but they but they kind of occupied a traditional sax place, you know. Whereas, like you said, Bobby Keys, it's like another guitar player. It, it, that's exactly <laughs> it. He's playing a solo. Yeah, right, yep. right. And this is what Keith always knew about him too. This is what oh, Keith yeah. always loved oh, about yeah. Bobby Keys. Well, yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, frankly, I mean, he could have been shitty, but he's such a running mate with Keith. He was on the record, yep. you know. <laughs> and, and they say they later. Have... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. 
I, okay, that, they were going to say that um, later on, you know, Mick got so pissed off at Bobby, like banished him for a number of tours or whatever. And went, yeah, yeah, I read that. Snuck him back, book. you know. Yeah, this is like yeah. Stone's lore, you know. Just stay back. Him back yeah. And, yeah, Mick didn't talk to him the whole tour. It's like, how the fuck can you avoid a guy eight feet away from me on stage? But, you know. And then there was that story about uh, Keith and Bobby Keys in a boat, you know, (laughs) taking off to go to Italy or, you know, wherever they went across the Mediterranean. Why am I not surprised? (laughs) You know. Um, Next up was um, that great Slim Harpo song. Uh, What is it? Well, Uh, see, now I'm not sure that's a a Slim Harpo-esque song. Well, you know, I just, uh, you know, I I had to dig this out. You know, I had to do my homework for this. And that's the the writing credit. I think The writing uh, credit is Slim Harpo. Absolutely. Then it's a so your hip shaking man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's great. It's what they do well. Yeah. You know. Well, Slim Harpo. I'm a fan of Slim Harpo. And he was had that, that like echoey voice. And you know, Slim Harpo, he was on a small label down in Louisiana. Check you out. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and you know, God love if you want a babe. Slim Harpo had that. You know, yeah, I'm a king bee, babe. You know, well, anyway, had to you know shake your hips. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And the stones, you can you can tell they appreciate that stuff. Oh hell yeah! And then they yep. go right into their own, you know, like uh, you know, casino boogie. That's the Stones blues boogie. You know, that's like you know, yeah, yep. it's so signature. You hear it a thousand miles away. You know, that's them. Yeah, I can tell you, I I believe there's a song on there, and I really don't like it. That, well, I, I was going to say, you know, there's a couple songs on it that I really don't like. I never liked. I never liked Tumbling Dice on there. Yes, I do not I like that song. I do not like that song. <laughs> I've seen the Stones twice, and I think that both times that they played this, that's when I get up to take a piss. I'm sorry, you know. You I'm have just to mute. You have here. to mute your microphone if you're going to cough. <laughs> did, did you hear that? Yes. I, I, I can't find the mute here, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, so uh, I never liked Tumble and Dice. I do not know why. I just never liked it. So, Perry, on this record, you know, only the Stones can kind of get away with this. They did this a couple of times. They put out a record and they'd scrape together, like, you know, they'd take some finished demos that they had, you know, from the past and they'd re-record yep. it. And then they'd have some new ideas. But they'd always be like two or three finished songs from previous things that they would just put on the record. They did it with Tattoo You. A bunch of those records were recorded, you know, for some girls. And the same thing here, Sweet Virginia. You know yes. that song. That's yep. that's the next song. That sounds like it was recorded for Let It Bleed. It really does. You know? It could have been a leftover track. Absolutely. You know, yep. it's it's I mean, it's a great song. Scrape that shit off my shoes. <laughs> but the thing is, like the basic tracks that they recorded in what was the place called Nellicott or something? Nellicott. They must have been, you know, so they, they gathered them all the tapes up. Right. Who was the producer? Jimmy Miller? Jimmy Miller. Jimmy Miller. Now, when they right. went to, I understand they took it to, they went to L.A., to a studio in L.A., and yep. they also went to, like, Olympic Studios or wherever to finish these things off. Like, yep. So, in other words, was Jimmy Miller there in when they went to L.A.? You know, well, I know he, they had to add background vocals here because the background vocalists were not in France. So then it all had to be added not. on. Absolutely not. I mean, Jimmy Miller definitely traveled with the tapes, you know, like most producers do. You know, right. so wherever they went, yep. he went, you know. Um, yeah. a, a couple of the later songs. Uh, where is it? Um, oh, shit. Sorry. Um, you know, like that song that has, you know, Dr. John singing backup vocals. That, that was the whole thing was recorded in L.A. What song has Dr. John singing back up on? Ah, oh, Perry, come on, man. Um, Let It Loose. Do you know that song, Let It Loose? I can't think of the how it goes. Right, so, so it's like a piano ballady thing, you know? And uh, it's not a well-known song, but it's a great song. But you could tell it's it, the whole thing, start to finish, and, and is, is in Matt L.A. And is Matt playing piano on it as well? No, he's just singing. Just so yeah, so there's like five or six people credited singing. You know, three or four. Um, Clyde King is another guy who sang on a couple of the tracks. Yeah. Um, you but can does just it tell. Say, does it say on the sleeve like where they recorded it after after France? They nope, went to uh, nope, no, nope, it doesn't. Say, huh? It doesn't specify. So you're going. But to I did read. I think in Keith's book that uh, in Keith's book, Keith K E E F that uh, 
that they went to they went to L.A. and then they went to Olympic or somewhere. You know, right. Like so that. apparently they had a bunch of stuff that was either half done or started from recording in uh what's a mix house what what is, uh, what the hell's name of it you know you know all their houses have names you know it's like we have addresses they no, have no, names no. What, what do you mean when they were in france no when they were in england this oh, is okay. what started the record like in uh, i guess late 69 then i guess they were in tour almost all in 1970 and then 71 that's when they went to france but i thought they would they called it exile because they were the tax they were tax man, exiles right? that's why they, they were, yeah they yeah. had to they had to leave england at some time in 1971 mm-hmm. and you know it's funny you say that because you read about these guys i remember reading about eric clapton or maybe it was keith richards that later on i don't know any of the details but part of the thing and the only reason i know is because they mentioned it he could only spend 182 days a year in england that's weird yeah is like, it? <laughs> like ringo used to live in the bahamas ringo used to live like in the bahamas li- for four months he would live in la for four months and he would live in the uk for four months i guess that's why keith's lived in connecticut for you know 30 years you know yeah yeah crazy strange thing tax exiles and then you read about it it's like the reason why they they moved there i finally got to the bottom of it they owed tax yeah the only way they could pay the tax is to leave where they'd be so they could make money what else is on uh, exile oh man there's so many great songs i mean um me personally you know let's just cut to the chase happy oh my god (laughs) Keith oh, Richards. Now I read the story. You read Keith's book, so Everybody we know knows that. that Keith went downstairs. Mick wasn't even there. Right. He's Charlie the only stone there. on this song. It's the only song on the record that right. only has one rolling and stone. And Jimmy Miller's on drums. Yes. Right. Exactly. And, and you that's know, it. Was Billy Wyman there? No. no. Um, you know, if you hold on, I'll tell you exactly yeah. who played on it. So it's Keith on vocals and acoustic guitar. It says Jimmy Miller on drums. Bobby Keys on percussion, Ian Stewart on piano, and it says P. Buckmaster strings. Well, huh. well that could be Isn't a, that interesting. Yeah, you have to read that in a book. But so You're Ian right. Stewart did show up. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I, I, who knows? You know, oh, that meant I, it could have been added in England, uh, it, right it, afterwards. It could have been added. Yeah, that's a but good point. Here's, yeah. Here's the great thing. It's one of those great Keith songs where he plays bass. He plays that pumping bass. I mean. He plays ba- a lot of bass on this record, along with Mick Taylor. So then I find out later, not find out later, but I read that part of the problem was they said Charlie Watts, the place where he was living, was like six hours away from Keith's house. <laughs> so I guess that's why Jimmy Miller played it. And, you know, Bill Wyman, it's like everybody played bass on this record. It, you know, he only played on right, half right. of it. Mick and Taylor Mick, plays Mick on at was, least three songs. And Mick Jagger was always you know, somewhere in France with Bianca Jagger. Well, he was in know, Paris, so right, he had to come sipping, down sipping to wine and you know <laughs> and cognac, being all bougie, speaking French at a cafe, you know. But look at the logistics, Perry. I mean, you know, um, Keith's house was on the Mediterranean. It was right by Nice. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, so yeah. it's on like the Riviera, and Keith's staying in Paris with her. You know, so it's like, okay, I just got an idea. You know, they were even saying for happy, you know, Andy Johns had stayed there all night and it was just him and Keith and Keith lays down the guitar for it. And he's like, oh, okay, I'm happy with it. He gets in the car, he leaves. As soon as he gets in the house home, he's exhausted. The phone's on and and it's Keith. Where are you? And he's like, I just get fucking home. He's like, no, I just came up with the other guitar part this song needs. Get over here now. And the the song's brother of Glenn Johns. Exactly. The song's amazing. I mean, it's just amazing. It's just one of those things. You know what? It's one of my favorite songs from the record. You know, Perry, um, Keith playing bass. I just got to do a little sidetrack here. Um, Are you familiar with the song Live With Me? Give me a little bit of it. It's on Let It Bleed. Don't you think there's a place for you in between the sheets? Yeah, Yeah, it's great. But it's a you could tell it's a Keith song. You know how you could always tell this is a Paul McCartney song, this is a Lennon song. This is a Keith song. The words are fantastic. But anyway, he's playing bass and he starts this song. It's amazing. It's absolutely it's freaking amazing. And the whole song is amazing too. So I did a little deep dive on that. And you know, it's the first solo, it's like the first song Mick Taylor played on. 
and he plays a shredding solo on it. And um, Bobby Keys, he did an overdub. They flew to L.A. and he lays down this blistering sax on it. And um, the other thing is Leon Russell's playing on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just amazing. But getting back to, you know, everybody played bass on this record. And this is one of the ones Keith played on. Oh, my God. Mick Taylor, man. What was he, 22 years old in 1971? No, maybe 23 or four, right? (laughs) But, wow. Yeah, that guy was good. Yeah, Here's this gig. Still is, dude. He's still great. I mean, I I remember in, when was it, 2012 or 2013 when they did their 50-year anniversary. You know, now they're doing their 60. They're touring the summer. They just toured the summer. Uh, Jimmy Miller played drums on another track where everybody oh, thought it was Charlie, but it was Jimmy Miller, right? And it was on a fairly popular number. Yeah, I mean, he played. He played. Uh, let me see. I don't have that in. You know, I didn't write that down or anything. I'm not really a no person for that. But he played drums on a lot of the songs. I got the. Um, yeah. What was I going to say? Um, Great producer, though. Oh yeah, but you know, it's how just many like people. A, how many people have used that Rolling Stones mobile unit? I mean, <laughs> wow. How many records have been made with that? Now, first off, Deep Purple Machine Head, right? Yeah, but, you know, it, it was so uh, ahead of its time. You know, a That's portable I mean. recording genius. studio. They're a mobile <laughs> truck. I mean... This is great, man. These guys know how to spend their money. Well, that's just it. It's like every time these guys, these neurotic junkies came up with some phobia, whatever they did to solve it became, you know, state of the art. You know, I don't want to travel. Okay, let's bring the studio to you. How do we do that? You know? Yeah, we'll run the wires right through your living room and, uh, and that's it. We'll do the record. Oh, man. I mean, it, you know, it had, it had like, you know, eight track reel to reel players in that truck and oh, mixing consoles Big, and thick tape, you know. Yeah, the two inch thick uh, tape. Oh, good yep. Lord. Um, Perry, are you familiar with the very last song on the record is Soul Survivor? I, I, yeah, I can't think of okay. how it goes with the second. Okay. But, uh, yeah. but it, it's, it's a rocker. And but here's the deal, Perry. Forget about Let It Bleed. This song, I, rec- I believe was recorded for Beggar's Banquet, which was, you know, three years prior to this. It's an awesome song, and it fits in thematically with it. It has the same instrumentation. It doesn't have the horns, so it, like, kind of dates it a little bit, you know. It's a really, really good song, but it was very similar to, uh, you know, a number of the songs on Beggar's Banquet. It's kind of similar to Street Fighting Man, you know. It has that same sound, but uh, it's a really, really good song. But again, it's a, you know... That's why it's a double record. They're, you know, cleaning out the cupboard here, you know. It's a big, you know, I think, was this the first record on Rolling Stones Records? You know, I don't know. Um, what label? That's a good, good question. Yeah. You know. When was oh, Goat's Head Soup? Here's the other thing, too, Perry. Um, the reason, there's like three or four songs on here that I think would are uh, from the Let It Bleed sessions. And check it out. They're all, um, what do you call it? Published by Abco. Yeah, there's that. There's that. Yeah. I've mentioned that to you before. This yeah, Alan yeah, B. Yeah. Klein thing. We're like, right. even you know, I had a I had a DVD of the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus, and it's you know Abco Enterprises. You know the uh, Abco Enterprises. I mean, how does this guy get his name on on everything? I, I don't understand that. Like you, you know, like uh, I don't know if they tried to warn if they tried to warn the Beatles about this guy yeah, exactly. or whatever. But, uh, exactly. Like Alan Klein, like he owns he owns all of their publishing up until us like 1969 or something. No, 1971. So when I was doing some research, so when I was doing some research for this, um, that's how they kind of got out from under him. Is they you know they had to you know kiss those songs goodbye. He had secretly you know somehow transferred ownership, and right, when, the law- yep. when the lawsuits all started flying, they're like you know fuck it, we got to get out from underneath this. And I guess that's how they got out from. Imagine if that was with the Beatles too, Jesus. Well, you know that, but the Stone. I mean, they didn't have the money that they were supposed to have at that point. No, they never after did. being together for. Eight years already at that point, right? Well, well, they've made up for it since, but uh... oh, I'm sure they have. You know, yeah, they get a, like, you know, they guaranteed ten million each for a tour or something, right, or even more. Oh, Perry, oh Perry, the numbers. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't want to go into the numbers. I mean, you know, they're rich. They're rich Did beyond you... their wildest dream. You know, all beyond you... my wildest dreams. But... All you need to know, Perry, about these guys is. They've been ripped off left, right, and center. That huge chunks of their income has been stolen from them, and they're still worth 
you know, $800 million. What does that tell you about? They're like the bedrock of popular entertainment. <laughs> the well, Stones, the Beatles, these guys are worth a gajillion dollars, literally. But anyway. Well, Paul McCartney was the only one who said, you know what, let's stay away from this guy, Alan Klein. To, if you're in the Stones and you have to hear these songs being played and know that, you know, someone swindled you out of it, that's got to be a tough nut to crack, man. Well, that's what I mean. It's like, uh, you know, so many people sign these bad deals. They can't control. Like, I remember Iggy Pop. I remember years ago, Iggy Pop was saying, he goes, you want to use my songs to sell sausages? You go right ahead. You know, <laughs> I don't care. You want to sell sausages with my songs? Go right ahead. Uh, who is uh, who? Somebody recently just said that uh, the guy from the Pixies. He's like, yeah, we did the we Frank did the, Black Black yeah, Francis. Yeah, yeah. He's like, we did the, the you know nostalgia, and we did you know everybody loves to see it. Now fucking pay us, man. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Well, anyway. yeah, but uh, you know, you know, I mean, there's a lot of money to be had. I mean, you know, who's the guy? Uh, who's the guy that was in? Uh, what's that group out of Chicago where uh, they were like they were like opposite Nirvana? Uh, urge over smashing, smashing pumpkins. This is smashing pumpkins. Okay, the smashing pumpkins. Yeah, and nobody uh, likes that guy. You know. Well, I like the guy. <laughs> I like the guy. That's why you like him because nobody like else likes guy. him. You well, contrarian. He had, he had a guitar that was stolen, and he got it back. You know, thirty years later. Or no, something. did you hear that about uh, what's his name in um? It just uh, what the hell's his name? American woman. Stay. Randy Bachman. Randy Bachman, yeah. Okay, guitar player. Yeah, I know who he is. Yeah, yeah. He used to be in the Guess Who, Bachman Turner Overdrive. Guitar was stolen out of a hotel room, nineteen seventy-two. Really? His favorite guitar. It was this scratch, beautiful, absolutely gorgeous, Perry. It broke his heart. It it affected him psychologically. He was so tied up in this guitar, he couldn't get out of this funk. He tried to buy a duplicate. Blah 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 blah. Thanks to the internet, there's some guy in Japan, guitar player, entertainer. Yeah. Has the guitar, and some sharp-eyed guy in Canada saw him playing and was able to identify the guitar because of like a smudge on the woodwork or something like this. So Randy Bachman gets in contact with the guy, and he's yeah. like, "Jesus, man, I got to get this guitar back." So they work out a trade. But check this out, Barry. The guy had very high demands. He's like, "I'll give it back to you if you can find me an unmodified guitar built in the same time frame." Was so yeah as the guitar that was stolen in 1972. Randy Bachman searched for like a year and a half and found a guitar unmodified, Congrats. built in the same week as that other guitar, and the guy really? traded it back to him. Yes. Wow. Is that mental or what? Yeah, you heard about that Frampton thing where the uh, where his blacklist Paul that you saw on all those records and Frampton comes alive and it ended up in a plane crash in oh, South Jesus. America. Yeah, no. he was on. Shit. Yeah, it crashed and burned, man. So he calls it the Phoenix. Oh my anyway, god! He got it back. He got it back many many years later, and uh, now he has it. He, you know, he lives in Nashville and he has it, and um. It's a blacklist Paul, so of course it went back to Gibson to, you know, fix it up a little bit. But it's it's that guitar. It's not amazing, it bur- I mean, and it still has the burn marks on it too. It was in a plane crash. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the you- instruments and the cargo went into another. We're in a different plane. Got so, it. You know they weren't. Uh, so no. Uh, I don't know if any. Uh, hopefully the pilot and co-pilot weren't hurt or killed, but. Uh, that was that was the story I heard that uh yeah, that black Les Paul with the three pickups that you see on that Frampton album. Right. And for, I mean I saw Frampton in nineteen, you know, I don't 19, know. I blah, Frampton, blah, blah. I actually saw Frampton twice. I would see Frampton in a heartbeat. Yeah, I don't know. I went to see him in uh nineteen I don't know, I think it was like seven late seventies. When uh, he was riding high, he was riding high with the live album, and then ten years after that, I saw him open up for Stevie Nicks. Really? Yeah, and only he was playing Stratocasters then. Okay, Perry. So check it out on the Tom and Perry Music Show. One of our, another one of our reoccurring features. Let's hit the trivia. All right. Yeah, let's do it. 
So, Perry, we uh, as always, we, uh... <laughs> as always, we take our questions from Classic Rock presents the Ultimate Rock and Roll Quiz Book. We published actually, by whom? Uh, I don't know. Bob's give publisher. him a plug. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, hold on one second. Let me see. Published by Future PLC. Hmm, okay, I don't know who that is. All right. So anyway, let's uh, let's pick out one. Okay, this one's uh, uh, specifically tailored to you, Perry. All right, you ready? Okay. Okay. Name the band formed in 1968 by former Bird members Graham Parsons and Chris Hillman. Piece of cake, Flying Burrito uh, Brothers. You are correct, sir. <laughs> <laughs> see, see what I did there—a little tie-in. I have all the records too, by the way. Because Graham Parsons was, you know, hanging around at, uh, you know, at Nilcott while they were recording Exile on Main Street. Graham Parsons was the, yeah, you know, Keith said when he first met Graham, he Keith said, "I know you." <laughs> uh, like he, so in other words, he felt like a first time Keith meeting Graham felt like they've known each other since they were child kids. You know, that's how the yeah. the effect they had on each other. And uh, also, there was uh, the the story I read in Chris Hillman's book that. Uh, you know, he came up with the, uh, the Christina's tune. Uh, There's a devil. She's a devil in disguise telling right. dirty lies. Right. He came up with that. And then Graham wrote another voice. Graham wrote another verse. Uh oh. And like, wow. Yeah, man. Like, that, that's the way it was. You know, they, I think they lived in the same house. They were roommates. Oh, shit. So, uh, Graham, uh, Chris woke up, Graham, and says, Graham, get up. I got a great song. And it was, and it was Christina's tune. Or, yeah, Christine's tune. Yep. Chris Hillman, okay, this is so bizarrely not related to anything. First person I ever saw with a tattoo on their hand. But anyway, okay. So, let's go to another question here, Perry. Okay. All right. So, let's go. Um, okay. Another, another Rolling Stones tie-in. With, with which Beatles song did the Rolling Stones have their first top twenty hit? Oh, uh, I want to be your man. You are correct again. I want to be He's your unstoppable. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I've is- read I've read the stories where they needed a song because they weren't writing their own songs just yet. Right. And the in fact, what was the first song that they wrote together, Mick and uh, Keith? Was it Satisfaction or uh, no, no, no? Uh, it was one before that. Time is but, on my side. Uh, that's a cover, I think. Is it? Yeah, maybe. I don't uh, know. Don't, yeah, but um, but yes. Yeah, so they needed a song, and this is like 1962 or three or something, right? See, they see, we're. We're very loose here on the Tom and Perry Music Show. We don't really need to rely on too many facts. <laughs> well, but uh, so that's that's what I I remember hearing that that they needed a song and uh, Paul John and Paul had this extra one. Uh, I but how, be ama- man how amazing the- is that that the Beatles could, um, you know, have a song like that and just give it away? Okay, so oh, they that leads- had lots of songs like that. Okay. that they just gave so that away. leads that leads me to another thing. So well, they um, didn't give them away. I mean, they got paid for them, of course. <laughs> but that leads me to another instance of that. So. Right before the Beatles broke up and, you know, they're kind of tense. I think it's around the time of that film. Paul bashes out, no matter what you want. No, no. Isn't that it? That's a Pete Ham song. Pete Ham wrote that song. No, then what's the other one that they had? If you want it, here it is. Is that it? Paul wrote, come and get it for Badfinger. Oh, shit. Yeah. He did a demo. He has a demo of it. I've heard the demo. Everyone's really? heard the demo. Really? Yeah. Now, how could you give a song like that away? Because it wasn't, you know, the Beatles weren't going to record it probably, you know, and he didn't want to use it as a, on a, you know, I mean, they were on Apple. I mean, it was going to benefit, it's okay, going to benefit get... the company anyway. Right, right. But... Yeah, I guess you're right there. Yeah. All right, and so boy, let's move. I'm, I'm a, by the way, I'm a Badfinger fan, and <laughs> the is tragic story of how they got burned, man. We'll have oh to go into God. that one day. Um, is there a name for people who are fans of Badfinger? You know, like Swifties? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know, but I am a Badfinger fan. Okay, so Perry, we're going to finish with... Uh, this one's a little difficult, though. All right, we're going to okay. change tack here. Um What's the name of the only Pink Floyd album to feature original frontman Sid Barrett? 
Um, you know, I'm not a fan, but I, I know they had an early record called Omaguma or Umaguma or something. I don't know. I don't know. Perry's it was, it was Piper at the Gates of Dawn. You are correct. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Good catch, Perry. Ugh. All right, so that stops our trivia for the for the week. We you know we don't want to do them all in one week. I got a, we got a whole book, so we can work. Yeah, away. yeah. But we we got into Exile on Main Street though, and uh, but you said it's a two record set, Exile, right? Right now, is it what was their uh, was it their first record on the Rolling Stones? You know, with their big logo with the tongue and the. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it was because when was Sticky Fingers? Yeah, I, I can't. Sticky gauge. fingers was before this. Sticky and fingers I, was before Exile. Yes, yes. So sticky fingers, I believe, is the first one on Rolling Stones records. Okay, I believe. Okay. I, I might not be. Uh, timing's a little dodgy there. You know, they wanted to get on their own record label. They were getting yeah. ripped off by everybody. So they. And I'm on my computer, so I can't click off and search. No, no, it, I so, can't either. You know, yeah, yeah, so yeah. And we'll, I'm just, not gonna... we'll just have to go with it. Like know, I said, but... the facts never get in the way here on the Tom and Barry Music Show. But the uh, yeah, the, but the Rolling Stones, you know, uh, I can't gauge when Goat's Head Soup came out to Sticky Fingers to, uh, you know, Exile on Main Street, and uh, I, I can gauge. I know when they started getting into that late seventies, Some Girls, and Tattoo You, you know, and that oh kind of God. stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, when when I jumped on um, what was it Wikipedia for? I was looking at something, and I you know, I put in the Rolling Stones. I think <laughs> I think it said something like they have thirty studio records. 30 studio albums. Really? Yeah, not counting like live and compilations and kids. You know, they love a good compilation. They put one out every five years. But, Everyone um, does, yeah. And I think they said something like 340 original songs. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? 340. Now, I know this, uh, I know the Beatles, uh, I don't know the exact number, but it's like 235 or something like that. You know, I stumbled onto this website one time where a guy ranked every single Beatles song. Every single song. You know, there was like, uh, there was over 200. Yeah, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, we can, uh, we can do that with like, um, we can do that with sort of um, the Beatles. You know, I mean, everybody has their, 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 the you know, you go in and out with the Beatles. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I love this and I of love course. that. But to me, yep. Sgt. Pepper was just one of those records that didn't sound so great. I, it was just the overall sound of it right? That at that time that I didn't think was that great. Well, you know, at the time, you know, again, these things, you know, some of these things, especially sonically, they don't age well, you know. And, you know, the the version of Exile on Main Street. I had Exile on Main Street as a as a well, record. So did I, yeah. Yeah. And you remember as how an LP, shi- yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. I had it. And yeah. you remember how shitty it sounded? I always thought it sounded. Well, know, there, there's the lo-fi element that I was talking about, that it was right. recorded, you know, in, in a basement. You know, it's almost <laughs> a sounds, sweaty, humid basement. But, but the point is, it almost sounds a little bit homemade, and I kind of like that lo-fi <laughs> thing. I like that lo-fi thing. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, anyway, Tom, I think we had a good show today. What do you think? An outstanding show, Perry. You know, yeah. Any any show that involves the Stones, yes, the Stones, yeah, yeah, the Rolling <laughs> Stones, yep, <laughs> yep. And how okay. many? Uh, there's only really two really original Rolling Stones. Oh left, my God! Right? Can Mick you believe Keith, it? Right? They, uh, what are they uh, called? The Glimmer Twins? Is that them? Or is yeah. That, uh... But Perry, like we said last time, I mean. They're gonna, they're gonna be seventy nine this year. I mean, I, I guarantee that. You know, since nineteen seventy two, people have been saying, "Is this the last Stone Store?" What are you kidding me? No, These guys Mick's, are gonna have Mick to be is, in a box. Got, Mick's got a new heart. He's like Dick Cheney, man. The guy's gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> the guy's gonna be around for. <laughs> He's got a sheep part, and if he's Dick Cheney, he's at an undisclosed location in the Eastern United States. Well, I got to tell you, those guys, those guys are amazing, man. Well, you know, yeah. you know, Perry, you know, I don't know if it's done with mirrors or pyrotechnics or whatever. The hair, Mick and the also, hair. Who, who, where did who is Blondie Chapman? He's their guy, right? So Blondie Chapman is. Remember, he was big with the Beach Boys. Yes. Yep. Right. 
So he's South African. He's one of these guys, jack he's of all South trades. South African, really? Yeah, he's from South Africa. Yep. Plays guitar, percussion, sings. He's on a lot of later Stones records. He's on, um, what is it? Is it Bigger Bang or like those later records? He's all yeah. over them. He's all over them, singing, playing. You know, but it's funny about the Stones. You know, they have they always have these extra musicians, always all always. over the place helping out. But then there's also I think it was that Marty Scorsese uh, movie. He did a documentary on them, mm-hmm. and like, mm-hmm. yeah. But then there was like there was where like it was only those guys. There was nobody yeah. else. It was only Mick, Keith, Charlie, yeah. and uh, Daryl Jones and um, Ron Wood. Uh, Ron Wood and uh, it might have been um, Chuck Lavelle. On keyboard, but anyway, it was just the Stones. Yeah. Well, that's in in fact, Chuck Lavelle might not even have been there, but it was just the old Stones, and like they can sound like this, like when if they when they want to, they can sound like wow, you know. Right. You know, it's funny you say that, Perry, because just one last thing that I want to say about Exile on Main Street, the last song is Soul Survivor. And, and like I said, I thought that could have come from the, you know, uh, Beggar's Banquet. Uh, and it was refreshing. It was just the Stones. Yes. It, yeah. There wasn't, you know, I mean, there wasn't the horn players. Yeah. And, you know, it was probably, you know, Ian Stewart or maybe it was uh, Nicky Hopkins playing piano. But you know what I mean? It was the Stones. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing, <laughs> I remember seeing like some backstage when they were doing one of their huge tours. And like the, like each of the members of the band had an itinerary. Oh, absolutely. And, like, had the playlist. And it was like for Charlie, you know, we're going to play this song at, you know, five eighths time. Or, you know, we're going to play it at this tempo. <laughs> You know, like, like you know, the faster you play it, the faster you go home, you know, or whatever it may be. You know, like, the, the best thing I liked about that Scorsese thing is, you know, you know how what a control freak that guy is. He wants to, you know, all the cameras and everything. He's like, we still don't have the set list for Mick. You're not getting the set list until he gives it to you, man. And it still might well, change after well, that, you know. Remember remember the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus? Obviously, you do. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah. Now, they played, they played Jumpin' Jack Flash. Uh-huh. But I think they lowered it to like the key of E. You know, really? You've seen people play Jumpin' Jack Flash where they do the big bar chords, right? Yeah. Way up there in like B or something, right? Yeah. But if you look at the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus and they played it slow, they played it slow. Yes. So in yes, other words, they, did. they weren't like, you know, later years of Stones, they rushed through everything. Yep. They rushed through everything. But in 1968 at the Rock and Roll Circus, when they did Jumpin' Jack Flash and Brian Jones, of course, was still there, it was, <laughs> they played it slow and they played it low. They played it, I think, in the key of E, if you look closely, which was really, really it was really good. Yeah. And no then they shit. played, I think, Parachute Woman after that or something. That was a good set. I mean, you know, the legend was that, you know, they never released it because they were disappointed in their performance. But I don't know. I had no problem with it. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty good. Now, you know, I have that on VCR. That's how old, that's how long I've had it. I, I've been trying to get it on I've been trying to get it on DVD and I just never got around to it. Yeah. It just came out recently like a remastered uh thing. Well, you're going to have to buy it because you probably won't be able to see it on these video channels because everything is, you know, copyright controlled oh, and, you know. Jesus. So, yeah. But anyway, that Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus, I always loved that thing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, and there were some there were some there were some uh, lip sync gigs there too. Jethro Tull. Jethro Tull, yeah. I couldn't who, believe who, it. I, guess who, who was the guitar player, Jethro Tull? Oh, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Um, what's his name? Um, the guy with the, you know who I'm, um, uh, left hand. Ozzy's, Ozzy's guy. What's his Tony name? Tony Iommi. He was playing a white. <laughs> he was playing a white Stratocaster. Yeah, I was. For, you know, Jethro Tull. Yeah. I now that the, was a lip sync gig and. I'm not, and of course, Marion Faithful. That was pre-recorded, and that was, right. she was just you know doing a like a television show with the backing track or whatever. Right, right, you know? right. Yeah, but wow. the, but the John Lennon, the Dirty Mac, they were live, right, with John. Absolutely, Keith, Keith on bass again. Keith on bass, absolutely <laughs> yep. pumping away. And he nailed shit. it, man. He nailed yeah, it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the drummer, Mitch Mitchell. Oh yeah. Right? Well, they're all wearing those funny hats and everything. That was kind of creepy, you know. I don't know if I liked it. They're all wearing like you know capes and you know hats. I, I, and... I, I that I enjoyed, man. <laughs> and and, uh, and the, the who did what? A quick one, a quick yeah. one. Like your man's been gone. Like yeah, they. You know. 
that's a great performance. That's a great performance. What what gets me though is there like I've seen how many performances have you seen of the Who where like Pete tune the tune the friggin' guitar, man. Well, (laughs) (laughs) no, because you're always bashing the damn thing. If you didn't bash your guitar, it might stay in tune. Exactly. Exactly. You know, especially well, well, that was the SG. He always played like. I think they were at Woodstock and his guitar was out of tune. Or was it the Isle of Wight? You know, the Isle of Wight or whatever it was. Where like, yeah, the guitar was badly out of tune. It's so noticeable, too, you know. Oh, by the way, you know what I heard on the radio today? What? All Right Now by Free. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it's like, I, I, you know, we were having dinner and I said, that throws me back to 1970, man. You know, that just throws me right back. What a great, great, uh, you know, just superlative, you know, worldwide hit. So the bass player, Andy Frazier. Yes. I think he was 17 or 18. Really? When that that record came out. I'm almost positive he was like 18 years old. Oh, my God. That's the whole song. That's the whole song. Of course, the the guitar player. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to listen to, we had like a little uh, little, uh, radio, you know, like any GE radio that you would have with one speaker, right? Right. And... uh, you know, the, the family would be there watching a football game on Sunday or whatever, and I'd be listening <laughs> to the radio. And I think that that guitar solo used to give me chills. Oh my god! You know, and it's like, oh man, when I was when I was ten years old, I wanted to be that guy. You know, <laughs> I wanted to be that guy. There's some great stuff. Paul Kossoff. Uh, was the guitar yes. player, and he was one of these yeah, guys. Late Paul Kossoff, unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, right? yeah. yeah. And he was one of these guys when he's playing, he's like mouthing what he's playing. Yeah, and, you he know, talks, it, he talks through it. He talks exactly. through it. Yeah. And there's yeah. a great scene from I think it's Isle of Wight where he's standing in front of like 70 Marshall, and he's just losing his mind. Yeah, with his less fall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That good, is great, man. Good stuff, man. Yeah, good you know, stuff. we'll you know, how about we do a deep dive into some of these Isle of Wright things that we've seen oh, and yeah. stuff like oh, that yeah. in the future. Uh, a great set by Emerson Lake and Palmer. Um, really good. Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, there's a, you know, I, I, I got to learn. I have to learn a lot more about ELP, and I have to learn a lot more about Blores to Cult because really, uh, yeah, I got to. Uh, I got to, man. I well, I have to. I have to. I have to. Uh, you know, I, I promised to do it for my friend Lou and my friend Mark. That uh, I would. Uh, you know, they've been telling me about these things, and I got to do it. I got to do it. Man. What you Blue know? Oyster Cult? Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. They have such a. So I'm gonna start with their first record and uh, check it out. You know. I just remember that song, Godzilla, man. <laughs> Great. Song. <laughs> I, I remember, oh, Godzilla. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. no. But yeah, so we'll, there we'll goes do, Tokyo. <laughs> we'll do a live look back into yeah. uh, some of these uh, some of these festivals, maybe, or something, right? Oh, no, that sounds great. That sounds really All good. All right, cool, Tom. Well, it was great talking to you. Absolutely. And, uh, let me, uh, be, you know, maybe we'll just uh, we'll say goodbye and uh, see what happens, uh, right? Okay, another great addition to the Tom and Perry Music Show. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Well, Tom, nice talking to you. See you next time. Perry, sit right back at you. Thank you.